WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Up next on WCBN, another hour of programming from our broadcast archive. Live programming will resume later this morning.
Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and I'm so happy to have in the studio today Wyatu Moore and her book, She Would Be King, on the table with us. Um, Wyatu, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's so great to meet you. Yeah, it's been it's been fun the last, what, hour just hanging out and, yeah, have, and, yeah. and having a, a great conversation. So thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, We're kindred. Hopefully we still have things to say. Yeah. Don't worry, everyone. <laughs> don't, don't stay tuned for yeah. the conversation today with Wyatu Moore because yes. I think there's going to be plenty to say and oh, hear. Yes. And we'll get to hear part of your novel, She Would Be King, mm-hmm. um, out with Grey Wolf Press. The paper edition has just come out this year. Yes. And of course, you- a few weeks ago. Oh, so, okay. yeah, a few weeks ago was paperback. Um, hardcover came out last year. Last or September 11th was hardcover last year. And then September 2nd was was paperback this year so what's it like to see uh, she would be king in its paperback like does it change like is there anything that happens or is it um besides another tour potentially another for tour? paperback and um I, I would say not 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 really not for me i i think i think the first the first thrill i got um was when i saw the arc the advanced readers <sighs> right. copy and that's when i cried and then after that, it was it. My reaction has just been like, "This is so cool! This is so cool!" It's just, it's just this mixture of disbelief and euphoria, but mostly just disbelief and shock. Because before I was a reader, or before I was a writer, I was a reader, and then now having a book of my own, it's still just jarring every time. Every time I look at it, but I try not to dwell on it for too long. I'm more interested in how do I continue to create and continue to make things like this. Because I think like when you do get stuck on just the shock and awe of, of and there's there's a certain amount of hubris that can be destructive to any literary career. So try not to dwell on it for too long because also, and I have my parents for that too, because I'll say, oh, you know, paperback came out today and they're, oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. Um, so yesterday, <laughs> start a totally different conversation. So it keeps you grounded. But, but yeah, when I saw the, the advanced copy, I was, I was, I was in tears and totally flustered. And, mm-hmm. and I'm sure your whole family was too, just because it's, it yeah. it's something about like the artifact of the book, right? right. The book in the world. And it connects to um, the nonprofit organization that you and your siblings have started mm-hmm. one more book, mm-hmm. um, which I was hoping to talk about today too. So maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we could talk about yeah. that in this moment because yeah, sure. that's you are you and your your family with your nonprofit organization mm-hmm. um are making and commissioning more books in the world yeah talk so a bit about so the um one more book it's spelled m-o-o-r-e like like my last name um we create books for children who rarely see themselves in books so the goal is to partner with writers and illustrators from underrepresented groups and to create books um, where children who are underrepresented in the larger international literary sphere can see themselves on the pages of books. So we have 26 books for Liberia, Guinea, Haiti. Um, we have an Afro-Brazilian book. Um, Ghana should hopefully be coming out this year. And uh, the way that it started was I actually, con- my younger sister is an illustrator, and I contacted her and asked her if she would collaborate on a book with me. And I'm not, I don't consider myself a children's book writer, but I knew that I needed something to present to other writers that I wanted to work with, who I thought would function better in that, in that sphere. And so I said, but I don't want to do just any book. I want to do a book like Jay is for Jollof Rice. And Jollof Rice is just a dish that's cooked across the continent. 
every country will tell you that they make it the best and Liberians make it the best. And <laughs> clearly. So, yeah, clearly. And so she said, sure. So she she illustrated the book. And then I, I got I have four siblings and I got them together and said, hey, maybe we can collaborate on this. And and so they they were helping me. They would give me feedback on the different projects that I wanted to do. And then about six or seven months into it, they were like, this is kind of your thing. <laughs> like, like totally like, you know, this is, we love you. This is your thing. We always have your back, but we're not, you know, writers are interested in the literary industry type of thing, but they have just been so supportive throughout this whole thing. So um, I actually took this book, this JS for Jell of Rice to Liberia. And I was at a school where I showed it to a classroom. We, you know, delivered the books to a class and there were boys in the back that kind of chuckled we were laughing because it's almost it seen it was ridiculous to see the words of Jollof Rice written on a page, and that's actually very profound. Like what is authentic to you or what is natural to you um, to be considered farce, and what belongs in a yeah, book. Or yeah, yeah. Because title. when you see something written down, it's considered a definitive authority, mm-hmm. and so it's just profound then that something that's authentic to your lived experience um, is not definitive, you know, and so. I knew that I wanted to go further with it. And so I used that book and um, a couple of others as a pilot that I then presented to writers and illustrators who I really wanted to work with and partnered with them. And so now we're, what, eight years later? Yeah, and still still sort of trying to create. We have a, a bookstore in Liberia, in Monrovia. So um, try to create reading spaces and advocate for reading spaces. Um in the, in the countries that we we work with and reading for pleasure too yeah instead of um because there's there's clearly spaces for scholarship and mm-hmm. research mm-hmm. but it sounds like part of your mission is to make sure there's a space where you're seeing um your own stories or mm-hmm. stories familiar to you yeah because <laughs> uh, i think what what generally happens there there are two sides of it one i mean even now in liberia um over the past decade or so there are um, local writers were being empowered by the Ministry of Education and other agencies to create, and they're being distributed in schools. But largely, um, the the people who create textbooks are are internationally based. So Pearson's a large uh, textbook provider, but what they'll do is they'll create uh, one book for all of the West African region, and they'll just put the country name on it. So Liberia has four and a half million people in a place like Nigeria with 200 million. So most of the references in the books are Nigerian because it just serves the larger population. So then you, there is like a lack of culturally sensitive and culturally relative material that is specific to Liberians, but I'm interested and so excited to see where it's going to go in the next few years or so, just with the different things that are being done with it's curriculum got, development. It's got to be changing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, we, we hope it's changing. Enough. Yeah. yeah, we hope it's changing. I mean, there was, there was a new policy that was created, I know, in the um, adult education space that states that um, material must be culturally relevant. And so, I mean, it's moving in the right direction. But of course, we know that in awesome. many contexts, it's not only about policies about how do you implement how do you continue to empower local writers local illustrators how do you continue to empower local printers even because even a lot of the printing is done overseas and then they ship it back to 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 a place like liberia so continuing to work um doing just what i can it's 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 my why like understanding that 
Um, there is something very special about storytelling as people understand themselves. It, it gives you a glimpse of who you are, who your culture is. It really solidifies and immortalizes societies. Um, and and wanting to engage in the in the written word and making sure that kids can engage in the written word as well. Thank goodness you're doing that work. And then also writing novels <laughs> and recent more also more recently a memoir yeah too, that we can get to. yeah the memoir is coming out next june but we just uh, revealed the cover whatever that means that means you know the literary yes. space it's like okay well let's show the cover now um as they make it available on various sales channels what does online. it look like because I, I haven't seen it yet why so the cover is it's it's called the dragons the giant the women and so it has a beautiful profile of um a black woman an afro just me actually and that's that's wonderful thinking about seeing yourself on the pages of a book um so it's uh, modeled after I, I guess my profile and within there there's there's fire burning and then also like a man i'll show it to you no oh, i'd love yeah. to see it yeah. and the dragons um that comes from the stories your father told you yeah um during i don't know do you would you mind telling us that, yeah that yeah story? so the my memoir is about um really just me grappling with my cross-cultural identity of being both an African in America and an African American, someone who um, identifies with both sensibilities. And so my, um, my family moved to America when I was five years old because of the war in Liberia. And so the war, while the war was going on, we, my dad was, he just worked overtime to make sure that some of our innocence was maintained, our being my sisters and I. And so my understanding was that the people who, when we heard gunshots in the distance, it was drums beating. And I thought that dragons were flying and fighting. And that's, that's where the chaos, the sound of the chaos was coming from for a very long time while we were escaping. Of course that that was like shattered and that plan imploded eventually because you, I think I was a precocious kid. So I understood that there was something wrong, but in the beginning I totally fed into, Oh, okay, we're going to go see mom. And there are these like dragons and, and, and there are these drums. And it was very much like a game. And I just love my daddy so much. And he, he definitely did whatever he could to preserve our innocence. And and at the time, your your mother had a fellowship, right? Across, she was a in Fulbright. The US, a yeah, Fulbright she was a scholar. Fulbright at Columbia. So yeah, during that time, and, and so, so she, she, she was, was in the U.S. Yeah, she was Columbia. in the U.S. and she was able to go back, and um, she actually hired a uh, a rebel soldier who, because there were women at the time who were being paid to traffic people's families across the border. Um, that's how they reconciled with with actually their own um, involvement in the in in the conflict, and so she she was on a bus and a guy told her that there were these women who were taking people's families across the border. So she met with one and paid one to to traffic us out, and so we we came to New York, and then that's when I guess the, I was five years old, but I remember because it was so traumatic. Um, but that's where like this new chapter of our lives began. You know, we, when I speak to members of my family, it's, we always talk about how we have these various chapters and we'd gone through maybe five chapters before I was 10 years old. And so that's where chapter two began was definitely in New York. Um, when, when, when I was five going on six that year, I believe. Yeah. And now for you and for your family, you've made this story into actual chapters in your upcoming memoir. I know. I so. know. Yeah, it's wild because it's, it's memoir is so different from from fiction. Ooh. And that with with fiction is, I mean, you there is a level of intimacy, but memoir is like, oh, this is this is this is your actual story, your actual truth. 
um, your actual secrets. It really gives a window into the kind of vulnerabilities that you, you generally reserve for close friends and family. And so I'm still adjusting to what that's going to feel like. I read from it for the first time this past summer and started sobbing in the middle of my reading. <laughs> because it's so, I mean, it's your story, right? It's yeah. your story and going through some of those emotions again. So I, I, I'll have to reconcile that, but I am very excited to share this story because I think that it um, exposes some of the things that were going on in Liberia at the time and the fact that there were Liberians on the ground who were working to save themselves and save each other as opposed to relying on. Because when you see stories about some of these conflicts, it's always, you know, ECOWAS coming in like a foreign military or the UN and, and these different agencies. But their um, Liberians did maintain their agency and they were powerful and strong enough to be their own saviors. And, and so I'm excited about the book in that way. Let's take a short break and okay. then we'll come back and more today with Waya Tumor. She Would Be King, the novel, out with Grey Wolf Press. I'm T. Hetzel. We've got Gina behind the glass. You've got Living Writers. We'll be back. I feel lost and found At the same damn time Made my bed but I can't rest I got losing on my mind I got losing on my mind around my neck But you flew by to save me And I try to find the reasons why you found me I found you Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Wyatt Tumor is here. She Would Be King, the novel out with Grey Wolf Press. Um, Wyatt, thanks for choosing the songs for today's program. Yes. Can you tell us a little yeah, bit? Yeah, that about was Laura Mavula. The song is Kiss My Feet, and she is just an extraordinary singer. She's British, and she the I think the first song I listened to of hers was Sing to the Moon, and I remember just stopping. I was like out with a friend at like a dinner party and the song came on and I just stopped like, who is this? And her voice has just been so resonant and actually contributes to my writing process. I, I listen to Laura Mavula while I'm editing usually. Yeah, she's just outstanding. She's outstanding. She does. She does something to me at a spiritual level. And so why would that spiritual level, like what's happening, um, inform the editing? Like how, how do you see that working? Hmm. That's an interesting question. You know, I think for me, when I'm editing, I have to sort of take off the cap of being um, so critical of myself, hypercritical of myself and of my writing. And her voice reminds me of that, that it's okay to be imperfect, that it's okay to just to roll with it. It's okay to make mistakes. Because I think as writers, what happens is we're, we go through editing processes and 
you know, you'll be reading a sentence or a paragraph like, oh, I wrote this, like, oh, I hate this. And you're beating yourself up the entire way, sometimes unable to finish and sometimes scrapping it all together. And there are some writers who are unable to edit themselves because of that, because it, it is very painful. And I think how I deal with just just the, the, the functions of editing, which is essentially recognizing your imperfections when it comes to this craft that you love so much is is tapping into spirituality and Laura Mavula does that for me uh, and and feeling like um uh like a buoyancy from mm-hmm. her in some way oh yeah keep you yeah going. oh absolutely you heard her voice it's just it's majestic oh uh, well thanks for choosing the songs yeah. for today yeah, and um and right before we came on the air, we were talking about um, family things mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you like and you had a kind of a flashback to you and your sisters with mm-hmm. um, your sort of early childhood radio days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I was I was talking about how I um, we had we would have our own radio station. And I and I feel like a lot of people have done this because I've told this story and people are like, me too. I did this too. And we pretend like we were DJs and be sitting in front of our tape player, cassette player, put a blank cassette in there. We recorded our voices and then we would switch to the local radio station and let whatever song was playing finish and then get back on the tape player and say, you know, okay, so that was... Casey and Jojo with crazy and you know go back like what do you think of that song and then you know say whatever we thought we knew about the artist at the time and and it was it was so much fun but we lost all the tapes we lost all the tapes and that's actually really unfortunate about those of us who are like on the cusp of the digital age is that now my nieces they have records of everything like they're like 11 right. they know how to work all of these various apparatus and they then and they also they know how to locate any project that they worked on anything that's been digitized mm-hmm. and we didn't really have that so if you don't have those old cassettes or old cds or old vhs tapes then you're out of luck Although there are services that will digitize them for you if you still have them, but we lost the tapes, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, that is, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. um, But how great that you were, like, because I think there's something about radio um, with, like, the imagination. Right, right, right. Did you ever do that when you were younger? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Every time I tell that story, someone's like, oh, me too. I did that too. Because it was so easy to do. It's like easy (laughs) entertainment, right? Like, we didn't have snapchat or, or you know right. the internet or google to entertain us so you really do have to find your own ways of of entertainment and because of that we, that's right everyone yeah. we had sticks we had <laughs> sticks yeah you know hopscotch oh, double dutch yeah, you go outside and you race yeah, you ride your bike you know you play simon says or whatever yeah. you know you get in trouble you you, you know go kiss the neighbor the neighbor or whatever and then you, why not right and then you go inside and you watch save the by the bell and you act like you have your own radio station with your sisters <laughs> it is so great i yeah. used to interview people too with my little tape recorder so i was kind of a, oh. a monster with that like, oh please you're... go away child <laughs> On the Your vanguard, like I'm, I'm, like I'm sorry, I'm working. Can you stop? Exactly. Just speak into here <laughs> before I got the plug-in mic. Or or quieting everybody down. Like, <laughs> should be quiet. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, we got it. We got to get back to she would be king yes. because this the out before the hour escapes us. Why mm-hmm. too? Um, so we were we were talking about um, 
uh, how it's important for um, stories for 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 children to see themselves in the stories. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was thinking for she would be king. It's also it feels so important for Liberia that this book is now in the world Mm -hmm. because about like a, a found an origin story yeah. of Liberia. Mm-hmm. Um, can yeah, let's talk about yeah, that. So she would be king. It tells the story of Liberia's founding, and Liberia has a really complex history. But its history is made complex because of the identities and the groups of people that comprise the republic, and that's freed and former slaves from America that immigrated to the region in the early nineteenth century. Um, freed and former slaves from. The Caribbean, mainly Barbados, that emigrated to the region in the later 19th century, early 20th century, and then the indigenous groups that that existed there before, which is about 15 or 16. And so all three of these groups, they find themselves in this small pocket of the world, and they're trying to make sense of a new republic while slavery is still going on in the rest of the Western world and colonialism is is mm. turning the continent on its head. Um, but there's a pocket of freedom. And so my book is an exploration of that. And it's told through uh, three characters with supernatural abilities. And each of these characters represent one of those groups. There's Bessa. She is indigenous. She's Vi, which my mother's Vi. <laughs> um, and she is immortal. And uh, June Day, he is a slave in Virginia. And during his first encounter with an overseer, he realizes that his back doesn't scar when he's whipped. And they try to shoot him. And he the his skin repels bullets. And so he escapes the plantation and ends up on a boat back to Liberia. And then Norman Aragon, he is the son of a Jamaican maroon and a British scholar, and um, he can make himself invisible. And he ends up on a boat back to Liberia. So the three of them meet and they are essentially fighting the remaining slave traders and trying to make sense of this, this new country that's forming around them. And and there is a narrator that mm-hmm. um, emerges um, in in the book within mm-hmm. the book from uh, a character becomes we realize right. narrates yeah. the, the, book the book as the wind yeah so I mean I when I went the uh, first draft of the book um, I mean we were talking about editing before um, the book was written in third person and I realized that I wanted it to be more personal I wanted it to be told by a black woman because the story of Liberia um, I think is a very feminine story. Story, um, in terms of uh, the things that the country as a whole, the Republic has endured and the resilience and, and just the strength and tenacity of the country as a whole, it, it reads as a feminine story for me. So I definitely wanted the story to be told by a woman, to be told by a black woman and to be told by someone who could relate to the heroine of the book, who's Bessa. And so I played around with a different, with various iterations and I definitely wanted um, the narrator to be who she ends up being. <laughs> Not to give anything away. Mm-hmm. Could we though? Could mm-hmm. we give it away? <laughs> um, because how did you come or yeah, well go ahead. You should answer that before I say anything else. Could we give it away? I mean, I, I think that there is, or from what I've been told, um, there is, there's some, there's something of a, um, a pleasant surprise when you, when you find out who the narrator is or what the narrator's story mm. Mm-hmm. Um, has contributed so but but I mean we could we can talk about your your next question was you were well I was going to ask like what were some of the other iterations before you got to I thought of Bessa the... being the I thought of the heroine being the narrator but it just didn't quite work because it she needed to be um, I so much of the story exists outside of her right and so I, I definitely knew that I wanted it to be um, 
who it is. <laughs> and and I also wanted I wanted the narrator to be a mother because the the story covers motherhood as a, a, a theme um, throughout. And so I definitely wanted wanted the narrator to be a mother as well. And so when did you know? Because I think we've already said this. When did you know the, the narrator would be the wind? Mm-hmm. Um, when did I know? I, I mean, I, I don't think I could can pinpoint a time. It was just during the editing process where I, I knew that it didn't quite work as third person. Like it, it, I, I desperately wanted it to be more personal and someone who the the um the reader has sort of seen their particular struggle and can empathize with their story and and can understand like why then her or the wind's um affinity and care for the other characters is as it is and how did you know um that magical realism like the um the 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 resiliency of like um uh, the skin or the disappear ability to disappear mm-hmm. or flying mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. Um, how when did you know that this was integral mm-hmm. to the way she would be king? I love this question so much because so when I was told stories growing up by my mother and um, auntie's grandmother, there was never a story I heard that didn't include some aspect of match what in the West we call magical realism, right? There was always someone flying or shape-shifting or, or, or you know, casting a spell or, or pouring a potion somewhere. You know what I mean? So it was just, it's just what I understood as the the framework of storytelling was that there's going to be something fantastic. And then when my family moved to America, all of these stories were relegated to Disney and were seen as childish, except for in church, because of course in <laughs> church is like, oh yes, everyone fit into this boat and, uh, yeah. and walking down the water. Yeah, this man swallowed or was swallowed by a whale and the yes. whale threw him up, right? <laughs> but otherwise, like I think in other contexts it's seen as childish, whereas I think for me, the storyteller tr- tradition that I'm from is just magic is just a part of 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 our everyday lives like engaging with the invisible dimension is something that is very human and i don't know why we cut that off you know as, and 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 see it as a sign of civilization but i think that's very unfortunate right yes. but, and then and then the other side of it i mean we were talking about astrology before is that even if you don't, you choose to not believe, like if you're not a Christian and you don't believe that a, the whales fall with the man or you, you know, don't have some sort of cultural um, heritage of storytelling that engages with that invisible dimension, even science, even in science, like we essentially are believing that we are just floating around this nothingness in a, in a ball all alone (laughs) for millions and millions and millions of years and i think that takes a certain amount of belief in the fantastic as well completely and so i think we all in in our in our different ways believe in magic and engage with magic in those dimensions let's take a short break and then we'll be back okay to talk more today with wyatu Moore. she would be king uh, out with gray wolf press thanks to caroline nitz for for sending the book i'm t hetzel uh we'll be we'll take a short break and we'll be back
Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, I'm so glad you did. Today, Wyatu Moore is here in the studio on Living Writers. She would be king out with Grey Wolf Press. Um, now out in paper, I should say, mm-hmm. like hot, hot off the presses early September. Um, and we've got Gina behind the glass making it sound good. Thanks to Gina. Mm-hmm. Ooh, the crowd were the studio <laughs> audience now. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That was uh, Sarah Tavares. She is from Cape Verde. I hope you all are enjoying my Pan-Africanist mix. Um, And the song is Balance. And I don't understand Portuguese at all, obviously, but the song is so beautiful. The musicality of it. um, It is also one of those books that that keeps me calm. It's like a walking on a spring day song. So is this one that you might play... While I'm editing? Yeah, or at other times. Like when you're... Do you play any music when you're drafting? Um, no, I, I, I generally do that. And I, I write when it's either totally quiet or I listen to, um, like soundtracks. So I do love composers, right? Like Max Richter. Um, the, the latest one I've been listening to is Nicholas Bertel. So he scored If Beale Street Could Talk. And he also scores, I don't know if you, any of you are, you know, HBO show watchers, but Succession, which is like my newest obsession <laughs> and he scores succession as well so his name's nicholas Bertel. he's a really really great um composer and instrumentalist and and so when i when i dry when i write when i draft i'm usually listening to a composer um and when i edit it's something a bit more spiritual um and then i, I think just i i love music so all kinds of music i try to engage with but but um the ones that are calming and soothing and have some sort of message and help me maintain my balance and stasis or priority on my iPad or iPod, iPhone, whatever we're using now. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Why too? So this, I think let's hear something from She Would Be King. Okay. Um, So um, I'm going to read a couple pages for you. And this is um, an interaction, the first interaction, uh, spoken interaction that the heroine of the book has with, with someone she loves. Right. Okay. Mia asked a voice deep and incensed. Hmm. She sighed, ignoring him. Safwa fumed at her charge. Calling a poor old man a coward was punishable by death. Bessa did not care. Stan, Safwa said angrily. When she stood and faced him, and his eyes caught hers, she recognized his bravery to be true. Bessa suddenly felt drained of all energy. His eyes were brown. Bessa at once wondered what color her eyes were, instantly conscious of everything around her. Mia? he asked again, even more angrily than the first time. Bessa knew he could not kill her, and did not care if he could. She nodded. Mia, go take your ma to go feed you. May I go back when your ma died to see you all right? May I do that? He asked. 
She swallowed what felt like sharp stones. Poro do that, and eso? he continued. Bess's heart sank at his words. He had done what he had promised. He was king and indeed the head of the Poro, and now the most powerful man in the village. The darkness of her curse was powerful, but not as powerful as his title, his bravery. And still, whose bravery is not provoked by a darkness? Was she that far removed? He breathed as though a part of him wanted to slap her face, while the other part wanted to touch his mouth to his, her blackness, test it for consistency, try what he knew was more than just a spirit, whose flesh and blood stood before him more rife and sweet than they who refuted it. The two stood in the night, silent, never touching. Just before morning, Safwa turned away from Bessa and returned to the village. Bessa watched until he was out of sight, and then followed him until she reached the house where the old man and woman sat sleeping with their eyes wide open. When they awoke, Bessa watched them together. Their synchronization made her hollow with loneliness. She reached inside for thoughts of the forest and animals, for remnants of the lake's icy chills, but none could come to her rescue. Outside the window, Safa was running around the village circle with his son, with no stain of the previous night, no lake, no extended stare. I'm dead, Bessa said to the couple, who sat monotonously during their days, waiting for sick villagers to knock on their door. Hmm, the old man answered, smiling. I live in, I'm spirit. Bessa persisted and stared out the window. The couple laughed. Mm-hmm, the old woman said, continuing to chew her tobacco. You live in now. Now you alive, she said. Thanks, Wyatt, too. Thank you. Thanks. So why did you choose this section for today? I think it's the first time that um, Bessa, so as I told you, she's the character who is immortal. And it's the first time that she comes face to face with her immortality, this idea that her village sees her as cursed and the effect that it's going to have on her life, which it she perceives is going to be an inability to be accepted as normal and find love. Um, and I think that that's the, the, one of the main themes of the story is, is love, the search for love, the acceptance of one's, um, difference, um, um, the different things that make us who we are and how those things affect our ability to be received by people, to become vulnerable to people, to accept those, to let people love us. Yeah. Just those things. Mm -hmm. Just those things. Little <laughs> things. <laughs> Thank goodness for magical Tiny things. realism. <laughs> All right. right. Sometimes you need something fantastic to open up so mm -hmm. that you can see what, maybe what is in front of you. Yeah. Or the, the... For sure. I think, I think it do definitely does aid in, um, in engaging with some of those larger themes for sure. But then, I mean, now, I mean, in 2019, I think some things that we're, we're, exposed to and an audience to at both the national and international level seem like they're otherworldly or fantastic. So, <laughs> so we're not that far away from, uh, yeah. or if only they couldn't be true. Fantasy and dystopia. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we, they both laugh nervously. <laughs> Says the narrator. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're laughing. The narrator, they both laugh nervously. <laughs> well, and I have to say, I, you you have a lovely voice, mm -hmm. and you actually auditioned to read "She Would Be King" I as did. your own audiobook. Is I did. So what was so when your agency or your publisher sells your audiobook, generally they will hire voice actors. Um, voice actors 
actually that's one of the, 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 the ways that they make consistent living is to do audiobooks or read audiobooks. And so I have a background in theater and acting. Yeah, I um, attended NYU. I was at Tisch for a couple years before I switched over and started writing. And I still see myself acting at some point in my future. But I, I remember being... Um, so uh, so amazed and happy when the audio rights sold and so I asked my agent I said oh well that's great like when when can I read it and she said oh well um you'll probably have to send in a tape I was like well what do you mean <laughs> like oh you have I to, wrote you have it, to yeah like, you have to you have to audition because this the, the publisher the audio publisher is going to assume that they have to hire a voice a voice actor for this so I said, oh, oh heck yeah, I want, I want to audition. And so I, I recorded myself and sent in a tape and I got the part. So I was, I was <laughs> thrilled about that. Thank you. I was, I was thrilled about that. Um, but, but yeah, so that's, I mean, and, and no, it, it is, it is, it is underestimated how, how hard it is because you, I mean, I, after the first day, it took three days after the first day, my throat was so sore. I had to just down honey packets and tea. And so I think like, I mean, I, I am grateful to voice actors and those who, um, who read audiobooks for, for, for writers. Well, it also, it was important because even from, um, the section that you chose that we got to hear today, there's different, there's multiple voices mm -hmm. that you're giving voice to mm -hmm. with different, like a different accent, a different way of speaking mm -hmm. from the older people, Bessa to mm -hmm. uh, Safa sounded different as well. Uh, uh -huh. And um, so was that also a way that you could make sure the voices were represented, yeah, yeah, how for you sure. hear them? Yeah, for sure. And I, I definitely wanted Liberian accents. Yes. I, I wanted that to be a part of the experience of, of listening to the book as well. And so it's Liberian accents are, are very hard. I think West African accents, African accents are hard anyway. I think what happens in, in, in the West is there's this generic African accent that you hear across the board for, for everything and everyone. And, and Liberians are very unique in their intonations because it's a mixture of, as I said, these three different places. So you have um, vocabulary and words and cadences that are affected by that. And so I definitely wanted to show that. So in She Would Be King, what when you were taking on the idea of, in a sense, writing like the Liberia's foundation story, mm -hmm. you you knew you wanted that. Well, it seems like you may have known. <laughs> I don't want to assume things mm -hmm. here um, that you had wanted to fictionalize it. Um, mm -hmm. And how did you reconcile like the research aspect of that with yeah. the imagination that you knew you were bringing um, to there it? There are some parts of the the actual story that I I knew were important to keep in there just for me at a personal level. Um, for instance, the name June Day. I named June after my third great grandfather. His name is June Moore, and he was free before the Civil War, but he married a woman named Adeline, and they emigrated to. Liberia from South Carolina in 1871 and um, before they left he actually had to testify against the KKK because they were terrorizing people in their town of Rock Hill South Carolina before they left so they would have to sleep in the woods with their newborn at night because there was a, a, a specific time that the KKK came which was right at like midnight or one so they would have dinner at about eight and then right after go into the woods to sleep and then after that spell of the terrorism he said you know forget this we're gonna go to this new country and see how we make it off there and so which is so brave because that would mean traveling by ship and yeah. nothing was assured at that time yeah. that you would make it yeah and across. there were people who were passing there were people who 
went right back to Rock Hill after. And actually last year, last summer, I had an opportunity to visit Rock Hill, South Carolina and meet the descendants of those who stayed. Um, not on June's family, but Adeline's side. His, my third great grandmother, she had brothers and sisters who stayed here because she married June and June is the one who decided that he was going to go. He was one of the leaders of the emigration. And so her siblings stayed and I got to meet their descendants who would be like my third or fourth cousins. And it was just fair. Speaking of spirituality, it was one of the most important moments of my life for sure. Was it something that you can describe in some way like was it that you could recognize some familial connection um, um I know that's no, a tough question yeah, I, mean, I, short I think time. it was more or less just I'm I consider myself a pan-Africanist someone who recognizes the plight of black bodies across the world whether or not you're in Flint Michigan or a, a black person in Italy or in Ghana or wherever and so knowing that you have these stories that are disconnected over three or four generations but we are related and if I were to see this person in Brooklyn which he had mentioned that he occasionally visits Brooklyn and I was thinking gosh I could have run into him before and I just wouldn't have known that our ancestors were enslaved together our ancestors were siblings right and I think that was the spiritual spiritual aspect of the moment was the commonality and 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 the kinship that exists among um black bodies around the world. And I'd imagine the sense of collapsing time in mm-hmm. some moment mm-hmm. too, where those generations yeah. for a moment yeah. could almost be there with you. Yeah. And we got to actually, we went to the woods where they used to sleep. Oh my we, God. Yeah. <laughs> we, we went to the woods where they used to sleep. And then I remember there was a butter, like this is going to, it's going to sound really cheesy, but there was a butter, there were butterflies all around that day. And there were butter, there was a butterfly that like landed close to my feet. And I remember we were just like, oh gosh, there are butterflies all around. And I remember thinking to myself like, no, they're, I, I think they're here. I think that they're, they know we're here. They know we found each other. We, they know that we came back together. And I just, and that was, that was one of the, as I said, one of the most important moments of my life. I believe you're. I believe you're right about the butterflies. Why <laughs> too? Today on Living Writers, why two more? She would be king. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back.
Welcome back. If you're just tuning in just in time today on Living Writers, Wyatou Moore is here. She would be king out with Grey Wolf Press now in paper um, before in hardcover. So now you can you've got another chance at it in paperback. Um, Wyatou, yeah. thanks for picking the songs yeah. for today. So that was Habib Kwate, Kwate, Kwate. Um, and the song is Din Din Wo. So it's a francophone song. And um, when we were growing up, I was raised in Texas, in the suburbs of Texas, um, north of Houston. Um, and we were very, you know, we had a very middle class American upbringing. And but my parents, they did whatever they could to tether us to Liberia. And the, the way that they did that was with food and with music. And so we were always listening to the kind of songs they listened to when they were back home. And, of course, those songs stayed with me. And Din Din Wo is one of my faves. Um, Habib Kwate is a tremendous, tremendous musician. Um, and so I would I would recommend him to anyone who's interested in, in world music and, and francophone African music. Oh, well, thank, thanks again mm-hmm. for today's songs. Mm-hmm. Um, so She Would Be King... Was, is this, am I, because I, I was researching a little bit, is this the, your, like your master's thesis? Was the original draft of the manuscript yeah. produced then? Yeah. So the original draft of the manuscript was, I fin- it took me about a year to write. I finished it in 2009. And it was, it was just a totally, totally different story. It was very different. Um, and it was very long. It was about 650 pages or so and now it's so half of it was cut so I yeah so I um speaking of editing (laughs) so I um I put it away for a few years and there were different things I was doing I was working in nonprofit in New York and I was you know forming my own nonprofit and um just just working on a few things and I picked it back up in 2012 or 13 um and that's when I connected with my agent and she was willing to to work with me on it. And she was like, you know, it needs work. You got to cut it down. And this is kind of, you know, floppy. I had an alien character in there just to give you some context as to how much of, of uh, how much work it needed. And so it just didn't work. Not to say anything. It, it, you know, it didn't work. I mean, I, I am interested in sci-fi, but, right. but within the pages of this book, it just didn't work. So, so I took about two years to edit. And then it sold in late 2015. December 2015 and then they told me oh it's not coming out until 2018 and I was like what three years but Grey Wolf is an indie press and so they they have a very small roster every year and so but small but strong yeah of course I love I love Grey Wolf they're they're just so wonderful they're doing my memoir as well um and so so yeah so they told me it was coming out in 2018 I was devastated because I wanted it to come out because I had been waiting so long and I was like this is gonna be a full year and or full full decade rather and thankful thank, grateful that we waited because 2018 is when black panther came out and so then everyone became very interested in speculative fiction um, by african writers and writers um, of african descent and so i think some of the popularity of she would be king could could partially be credited to to that or it's it's moment yeah. I mean, and that's the thing with the literary industry as well. It sort of like operates in waves. And so um, because it operates in waves and like what's hot and what's what's out there, I just think that 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 timing um, was really great for the book and, and got it into to hands who wouldn't have normally read it. But there was there was a, an interest, I think, 
Well, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> yeah. Really. Um, when you said you connected with your agent, had you sent out, so in the process of it, yeah. um, uh, for the, the writer's process thing, yeah. did, had you sent a manuscript to an agent who you thought might be interested? Yeah. So I was actually speaking to an agent before my agent now, um, who was more interested in, I think the African immigrant story, because like at that time that's what was selling or whatever. And so I definitely wanted to go the novel route and, you know, sell my fiction book first because I didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want the introduction to my introduction to the literary world to be, um, from the lens of my identity. I did want it to be craft. And even though obviously my, my identity is, is, um, very closely woven with this book and the contents of this book and the themes of this book, um, it is, it's, it's more vast and more grand than that. And I think with writers from certain groups that might be considered marginal or peripheral to the larger capital C canon, um, there's an expectation of what you should be writing and, or, or, or what should sell. And I didn't, I just didn't want my introduction to be that, you know, immigrant memoir to where, to where anyone could say, oh, well, you know, she has a really good story and that's why she was, she got, you know, she was able to gain success in this world is because she has a good story, you know, because I, I, I do think institutionally we find ways to discredit writers and creatives that are outside of that um, norm or that, you know, archetype of the serious fiction writer. And and what you said at, towards the top of the program, to about the memoir aspect, like writing that story, you had to, it's a, a different kind of writing your story, that story, your story, mm -hmm. right? Um, where you were so vulnerable too. I feel like in a way that maybe that couldn't be the first thing that, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I mean, I just want, like, this seems like the, obviously the right. Yeah, it, it was, was right. right. Yeah, it was so right. many ways. Yeah, it was but, right. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to my agent as well, because I do know that it wasn't quite ready when she accepted it, but she believed in me and my ability as a writer. And so I began working with her and it was two years from when we started working together to when she thought it was ready. How do you know, out? like to trust when, with some people's feedback? feedback like when she said not um, the alien that sounds like maybe you were like ready for that one but were there how yeah, do you know um i i try i i would like to believe that i have good instincts when it comes to people and i i'm certainly one who's okay with trusting those who have more experience than me in a certain field right and if it's not anything that i have a strong personal connection to then i'm i'm okay with letting it go there are there were aspects of the editing process when it when it sold and i was working with gray wolf that i was like well i, I think i want to hang on to this but even then i think i've i've gotten stronger and more brave in saying no when it comes to my work um because initially you just want to get your work out there. So you're saying okay to everything, every little, all, all the feedback from anyone you respect, you'll say, okay, yeah, yeah, thanks. Thanks for the note. Thanks for the note. Thanks for the note. And I think as I've become um, just a more thoughtful reader of other people's work and um, a more confident writer in my own work, I am empowered to to say no and, and, and take agency of my work and, and know why I make the decisions that I make and, and always always walk in that direction. Wyatt, too, I've loved talking with you today. Yeah, fun conversation. Thank come, you. Come back. Yeah, for um, sure. 
I'll take you up on that. I will. For the memoir, right? I will. I would love to. I would love to. Um, I could I could put together some more jams and stuff. Too. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Some part two DJing from <laughs> Why It's the More. For sure. Um, thanks to Gina Brandolino for being back in the engineering chair. Um, thanks to Caroline Nitz at Grey Wolf Press. Thanks to Frank Yuli for post-production. Thanks to you for listening out there, everyone. And Mom, I think you're listening, too. Um, until next time, I'm T. Hetzel. You found the truth beneath your lies And true love never has to And rub up and fill up, kiss up and rub up and fill up on you. Give you some time to prove that I can trust you. Again, I'm gonna kiss up and rub up and fill up, kiss up and rub up and fill up on you all night.
right. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in to 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Alex Shee. I will be your host for the Daily Sports Report this afternoon. Of course, today is not just the Daily Sports Report. It is today a new edition of Take On Me, the game of competitive hot takes. I am joined today by four excellent panelists, three of which are new to WCBN. Let's give them a big welcome. First, we'll start off, give yourself a little introduction. We have Gretel Payne from Los Angeles. How are you doing today, Gretel? I'm great. How are you, Alex? Doing pretty well. Always great to be back on air on student radio here in Ann Arbor. Uh, Gretel, introduce yourself to the listeners today. You're from Los Angeles. What is your favorite sports team? Dodgers, baby, all the way. Dodgers, pretty good time to be a Dodgers fan. It's what uh, what's your favorite? Is baseball your favorite sport then? Yeah, obviously. Awesome. And what year are you? I am a junior. Junior, what are you studying? I'm studying secondary teacher education, so I want to be a high school English teacher. Fantastic. A very honorable profession. Next, we have Tim Fox. Tim, how are you? Doing great. I'm very excited to talk about some sports with you today, Alex. All right, Tim, where are you from? I'm from Los Angeles, uh, actually a little a suburb, a little south of Los Angeles called Palos Verdes. Um, but I am, uh, un- unlike most L.A. kids, I am actually a New York Yankees fan as a result of my uh, father being from Queens. So Fantastic. That's even more interesting because it's not just from New York, it's from Queens. And yes, there are not too exactly. many Yankee fans in Queens. Yeah. All right, and finally, last but not least, we have Adam Bressler. Adam, how are you? I'm doing great this afternoon. Thanks for having me on the round table. 